Hi, I am Patricia Schaefer, President of the Compassionate Friends Queensland. True Grief is a podcast of honest conversations about our experience with grief through the loss of a child. We hope this podcast creates opportunities for our listeners to have their own conversations and helps you to feel less isolated in your journey. This podcast is for entertainment purposes as we are not qualified counselling professionals. We are a peer support group. If you feel the need to speak to someone after listening to our conversations, please contact our national helpline on 1300 064 or ring Lifeline on 131114. Hello, my name is David Murray. This is the True Grief podcast number three. Again, we continue the conversation between a parent and a sibling who are bereaved. And I'll say hello again to Trish. Hello. And I'll say hello again to Tina. Hello. All right, so we've been going through a number of questions. And I think we're almost at the end now. We might have another podcast out of this. And we'll last about an hour, and we're just going to start to proceed through the questions. So, Trish, over to you. Okay. Hello again, my fellow friend Tina. Hello. Hi, Dave. Hi. <clears throat> okay. So, carrying on from last time, this for me was a real big question because I did make a point of including my children with this. Mm-hmm. So it's around the funeral process and wanting to know if you felt included um, and if you didn't feel included, why you didn't feel included. For example, when Eric passed away, I asked his father to join in the process. Sadly, he didn't make it to the church to do that. For whatever reason, it's his. But I had two children with me. One was 12 and one was 16. So I brought them to meet the priest with me because I figured we're it. We're we're family um, and we've been the main collective um, in that that dynamic. Anyway, um, I would ask them, like I'd, I'd be asked to pick a song and I'd say to them, how do you feel? And they just sort of sat there and said, whatever you want, Mum. And I look back and I go, was that too overwhelming for them? Was it the wrong thing to do? Um, I'm only going by what I thought was right. Even the priest, I think, was a bit shocked. But I, like how often do you plan a funeral and, and hang out at a church? No offence to anyone who does it regularly. Um, <clears throat> but as a parent, I often wondered, was that the wrong mistake? But then I'm thinking how many other parents have included so I thought from your point of view, is that something you would have wanted to be involved in or are you glad you weren't involved in that or were you thrown into that and didn't want to be or was happy to be? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, so to answer that, again, to put in perspective, I was 32 when my sister died, so I was obviously an adult. My brother was 29 or 30. 
I think he was 29. He hadn't had his birthday yet. Um, we were all involved as much as we could be, but because my sister was married, even though her husband turned out to be the perpetrator, at that point in time he hadn't been arrested and he was her next of kin. Mm. So a lot of the decisions were made really against even what we knew my sister wanted um, because because of the environment that she lived in, she did leave a will and in her will it was the exact mirror of his. And so what he wanted when he died is what went on her will, even though we knew that that was not actually what she wanted. Like, you know, she was 26, so we had always had these conversations growing up. Um, so where she wanted to be cremated, we had to bury her. Where she wanted to be had her ashes scattered, we had to find a plot for her, um, you know, all these kind of things. Um, so as much as we could, w- m- my mum and I really... We did have a lot to do with the planning. We engaged the white ladies as opposed to just a normal funeral home. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and for us that actually worked out really, really good. I'm, I, I can't remember the context because let's face it, it was 15 years ago now, but I can't remember why he relinquished that side of it to us. I can't remember why he's didn't want to do that because he's very controlling and wanted to control everything else. So I don't know why he said, you know, my mother and I could look after the the funeral parlour and, you know, make those decisions and stuff like that. But we did. Um, and because of that we were able to get um, a lot of things in place with victims of crime and things like that unbeknownst to him. Right. Because he wasn't in involved in that. And because because the funeral planning came so far down the track because she was missing for a week and then she was with the coroner for another three weeks or something like that. Um we and we couldn't like view the body, you know, anything like that. So it was um closed casket. Um, we got to pick the music, we got to pick the poems, we got to pick that it wasn't a um, religious service, that it was a non-denominational, you know, church. church, Yeah. Um, But the, the really thing, the really thing, yeah, that's good England, um, the thing that really sticks in my mind is for my mum was so, so painful. His way of keeping that control, even when my sister was in the grave, um, he refused to put a headstone on the oh, plot. No. And so every time we would go and visit my sister, we literally couldn't find her. So, And, and for my mum that was just... Like she would walk 
up and down, just so traumatised. Like she was just so traumatised by the fact that she couldn't find her daughter and couldn't go and sit with her daughter. So we wanted to put a headstone on so we could, you know, find where she where she was. Um, that took nearly 12 months mm. of fighting lawyers. The homicide detectives went in. The corrections guys went in. Like it took a very, very long time for him to sign those papers so that mum could well, actually, we signed it over to Zayla, her her daughter, um, so that Zayla actually had ownership of the of the burial plot. So <coughs> we could then put a headstone on my sister's grave. Um, so, in terms of <clears throat> to answer your question, we were allowed to be involved up to a point, but the control was still just so. If you had an option. To have more control, I take it from listening to this, you would have done it a whole lot differently. I don't know that we would have done the actual funeral differently because it was very beautiful and it really was what we wanted. Um, and that's where the butterflies came from and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like we, we well, in terms of we would have allowed her to be cremated and, you know, had her ashes scattered and all that kind of stuff. But given that it was in her will, we did have to follow her wishes as they were in writing, even though we knew that they weren't actually hers, but she had put it in writing, so we had to we had to enact that. So she, there's not many things I think we would have done differently, perhaps maybe made it a bit more private because I think I've mentioned in one of the other podcasts it was very, very public a homicide. It was very, <clears throat> very well known case in Sydney. So there was so much media at at the funeral. And there was so much, so many people that knew my sister, like through school and through work, and like there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in this tiny little church, spilling out of the church, um, and there was so much media there that my my family, like all my cousins and my uncles and things like that, they ended up forming a guard of not 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 a guard of honour, like a guard mm. of kind of protection to get the media out just to give us some kind of privacy, um, just a wall of black suits basically, and they all just stood there with their arms linked so the media couldn't get past and film us in the chapel. Mm. Um, <clears throat> my brother and I were pallbearers. I maybe would have done that differently. That was horrendous. Yeah. I think that was one of the hardest things to do. Um, like carry carry the coffin out and put it in the in the hearse, and then follow the hearse down to the gravesite and carry it from the hearse to the gravesite. I don't know how my legs carried me mm. to do that. Um, <clears throat> And then at the gravesite, we was my brother's idea, and it was just amazingly beautiful idea. Um, and this is where, like you and I, have this kind of kismet, I think, because we used to say to each other as little kids, like butterfly kisses, and we would always sign our cards and stuff. And so my brother wanted to release butterflies at the funeral, 
which was a beautiful idea. So we we tried to get little white butterflies, but we couldn't because it was out of season or whatever. So we ended up with all these monarchs, yeah. which was just amazing. And now the monarch has be, has become our symbol for Joe. Um, and as the coffin was being lowered, we released the butterflies and they all kind of, we got uh, 26 for how old, her, she how old she was. And um, <clears throat> actually we got 27, 26 for how old she was and then one because she was pregnant, so one for the baby. Um, and then two butterflies, a big one and a little one, stayed on the flower wreath that was on top of the coffin and they stayed there the whole the whole time it was being lowered and my mum like my mum was just well we were all freaking bawling obviously but my mum was beside herself just going oh my god she's here she's here the butterflies are here and, you know and the baby's here and they're you know so I don't know that we would have done anything different but all right, so Eric comes part is part Indigenous. My children are part Indigenous, and so it's interesting you say that stuff. Um, for me, with the funeral, I, I I had the kids with me. I picked songs. Eric and I were very big on music, and like I remember when he came home with Daryl Braithwaite's "The Horses," he's like, "I've got a new song for you to listen to." And I must admit, back in that day, I couldn't stand it. It made no sense. <laughs> and he's press play, and I'm like, "Really, child? Really?" This was out when I was your age, sort of thing. So that became a song that we played with him. So every time I hear the horses, I think of him. To be honest, my daughter um, just didn't cope. They were 15 months apart, 14 months apart. So it was like having a twin died for her. Mm -hmm. um, and Mikey, which is the youngest one, I think he was tw he was 12, but I think he was, well, he's 12. What do you make of it? But there's a tradition that when we um, put them in the grave and we lower them, we don't leave till the grave is covered. And every male that attends is responsible for covering um, the body. And I remember just sitting there watching my 12-year-old son really go for gold, um, laying his brother to rest. And it was in that moment that I really was heart sore because I thought you don't fully understand what's happened to your life. Now that he's older, I think he gets it. So I think in some ways... It's it helps for him, and in some ways, I think it's impacted him that he's unsure. He doesn't express that to me. Like that's why we're having these conversations. <laughs> but after talking with you a lot, and I go back and talk to my children and sort of ask those questions. And sometimes I know by their body language, it's like, oh, do we have to talk about this? Because I think it's uncomfortable for them <clears throat> to explore that because they've put it in that. Yeah. Little box. Yeah. And hold on, this is mum creeping into it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's I think they don't want to hurt my feelings because mm. I probably attach to that more than they have. Mm -hmm. um, just curious, Dave, did you include? Um, look, we just, uh, no. 
Okay. Yeah. In the sense of practically the, the practicalities of, of, of visiting funeral homes, etc. No, we didn't include um, the other child. And, but we just spoke about what we were going to do and tried to make sure everyone was on board and happy. Well, yeah, you know, use the word happy. Was yeah, yeah, was 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 was, was yeah, well, yeah, wasn't did have any major issues with it, and I think to be honest, I can't remember much about it. And it's interesting. I'm sitting here now, and I, I don't want to remember. That's fair enough. And, and that's 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 the one thing I've been conscious of. I thought, have you as you guys are talking, I don't want to detract away from it. Um, I just don't want to remember. I think I was probably. St- I'd imagine it all happened so fast. Um, losing my son. That I probably was in a, probably a, you say a state of shock or something. I don't know. I can't, I can't, I, 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 if, if forced to remember, I could probably give you sketchy details of the day. Okay. Yeah. Uh, some are private that I just don't want to share with anyone. Fair enough. Particularly, uh, you know, even, even you know, within my own family. Um, but I, re- I just remember it was. I think it's the surrealness about it. I'm sure you both sure felt this. You go in. Hang on a minute. This, this, because you know, I've been to my grandparents' funerals. Uh, there was a child, there was a kid at school I taught at. Uh, he got killed in a car accident. I've been to that. That was probably the, the closest reference point I would have had in terms of the age demographic. And it's just this feeling of, yeah, it's, it's surreal. It was, you, you, you're numb. I, I, I don't, I can't, I can't put it into words. And, 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 It's, I, I don't know. I, I think it'd be different for everyone. I don't want to, it's not like I don't want to impose my point of view on other people for something as, as deeply personal and, and painful as this. What I will say is I think it's important that there's a ceremony. I think as human beings, we need some sort of ceremony. As you were discussing then, I actually, it was interesting you were discussing then about burying about the burial Power aspect burial. of it, yeah. And I mean, you were discussing about the butterflies, and I thought, you know, this these symbolic symbolically we have to do something, and 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 I think that's that's it's as as awful as it is, and as painful, and it probably is. Well, the worst day is when they die. It's probably the second worst day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe in some ways you have to go through that process, and I, I really do feel sorry for people. I do have an enormous amount of empathy for people, or pity, or sorry. I don't pity is the wrong word. Um, I do. Your heart. Yeah, me, yeah, yeah. Me, me, my heart goes out to the people that who can't do that. Yeah, yeah. who can't, that can't who, who can't bury the child. Um. You know, I I know of people. You know, who've, who've I, I, you know, in fact, within my family, there's 
this the scenario I, I, I can't really say because the, the scenario meant that the, the person couldn't that they couldn't have a proper burial I think it's really important for people I think I think um symbolically you have to do something sometimes it's like you know you the plane remember the plane crash uh, uh the yeah, Malaysian Airlines I mean well I, the, for the people that are involved in that some sort of ceremony would have to be conducted I imagine for them to feel like a closure. Yeah, well, well, yeah, yeah. We we can't find the right words, can yeah. we? You know, but we. For me, but it yeah. is a rite of passage. Like dying yeah. is a rite of passage, and like I can't speak for your kids. My kids weren't siblings. My son was seven. It was his auntie, and my niece obviously was only three, and it was her mum. Neither one of those were involved or even present at the funeral. Um. Yeah. However, to this day, they're now like it's fifteen years, so they're now twenty-two and seventeen. They that is the one thing that they talk about the most, and that they wish that they could have been part of. We did do the at the twelve-month anniversary. We went back to because we didn't live in Sydney, so we went back to Sydney, back to the grave. Um, the psychologist came with us to help, like the child psychologist, to help with Zayla. Um, but it's the, because it was, they didn't have that closure. They didn't have like one, one minute Jodie was there and the next minute Jodie wasn't there and they didn't have any ritual. There was mm. no, there was, there was nothing there. They just had to adjust to this life where Jodie wasn't part of it. And oh, yeah. it was really, really, it's, it has been very difficult for both of them to, uh, to navigate that. Without having that, even though we did it twelve months later, it it wasn't it, the day. It wasn't the day. Yeah, mm. that's Ruth Marie. <clears throat> she passed in New Zealand, so we could only afford for me and my husband Mick to go, as it was Mick's child. He had to go, mm. um, and the kids couldn't go. So I often wonder: has that affected them not being a part of that process, even though they weren't? like they were in separate countries, they still were family. Mm. Um, I know it affected Marie and Alex um, not being a part of Eric in any way. We didn't tell Marie and Alex until at least two years after Eric died. Circumstances, which I'm not going to go into, created that situation. But at one point I just went, I'm not doing this. This is a really big deal and I picked up a phone um, and had the conversation. I since spoke to our daughter, Alex, and she said it really impacted them. And it impacted them more than anything to know it was years later mm. that they were told. Mm. So, yeah, I... Um, See, I'm not, a, I'm not a big believer in protecting the children, so to speak. I think you need to have empathy and compassion and, you know, do it in an age-appropriate respectful manner yep but the truth is always the truth regardless of how old they are and i and i i understand and i respect everyone's decision and you know sometimes it's out of your control but that's the one thing that the psychologists over the years have drummed into my head with my niece and as she's processing the trauma because she was present at the time so she has a lot of (laughs) trauma that she needs to deal with and every time he'll say to me 
I'll say, I don't know how to answer this question. She's just come to me with this. How do I deal with this? And he says, age-appropriate version of the truth. Yep. An age-appropriate version of the truth, Tina. That's what you give her. Um, Because at some point she's going to become an adult. She's going to learn the Mm. truth and she's going to know that I wasn't honest with her. And then I become, you know, I become the problem then, not the I got to not clarify. I didn't want to not tell them. Because no, 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 of no. I'm not, no, I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. but I, I just wanted to clarify. It was adult issues that were preventing the phone call from happening. Yeah, it was, and that's all I want to say in that. But I've understood from the adult issues because of the impact. It's had a long term impact, mm. um, which is sad. Sad to see. Going back to what you said about we need a ritual. Um, I remember with Eric, all I could think of, and this is where I came from as a parent's point of view, this is all I have left to give him now. This is it. This is my last day with this kid and this is all I've got left to show him how much I love him and I want to make sure I do it right. That's about where I was coming from. I couldn't care who was there if I was going to be honest. No offence to anyone who's listening. It was more, I've got his brother and sister and me. I know he had a father. I know I've got my partner and all that sort of stuff. But in my head it was me and the two kids and him and this is our last day. And on this earth where he's physically here and and it's like I've got to wrap birthdays, weddings, all the milestones, everything's got to reflect all in this one day. So it was, I've obsessed, no, I didn't obsess, but in the moment of having to plan this stuff, I really was, you need to be here because I need to know. I do remember Sky saying, I like that, Mum, can we have that? And I went, yep, that's going in because she spoke up, she wanted something, mm. you know. Yeah. I was happy with that. I also know what you mean about not having a funeral because just off the blatant track, not the same. I, I couldn't imagine what it's like with a child because my dad did that to us. He refused us a funeral. I literally said goodbye to my dad on a morning and picked up his ashes two days later and nothing, nothing. His four songs you'd apply. I'm sort of like, well, when would you like me to play him? Because he decided he wanted music but he didn't tell me when he wanted the music. And it, I have struggled with that. So I was listening to you going, oh, my God, I remember it was, I know what it's like. My father took that option from me. I have, I would die if someone took that option from me with a child. Well, I think funerals are for the people that are left behind, aren't they? Yeah, they mm-hmm. are. And, and, and whether it sounds, it, it's weird, it, the centre of of the, I'll, I'll use this phrase and I'm using it as gently as I can. It's the centre of the opera, the show, is the person that's died. It's a very, very extreme melodramatic day for anyone who's, a, anyone who's been to a funeral would know. Um, loads of feelings going through, yeah, but really it's for you and not not you as a person, you as the group of people that are left behind and not that person because that person's life has ended. And I think that's why it's it's important. It's interesting you should say that, what you said about your father. And I think it's 
I, I don't know. I, I, you know, we're humans. Why, why do we build these? Why, why do we have cemeteries all over the place? Why do we have the the uh, um, crematoriums? Uh, yeah, the uh, sen- uh, 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 excuse Synagogues. me, the, the, the cenotaph. That's in England, isn't it? What's, what's, what do they call it? I've been to it. It's absolutely brilliant. It's in Canberra, and I'm, I'm the apologies memorial. for the for the uh, soldiers. Yeah, the soldiers. It's a, it's a it's a fantastic building, and uh, and it it does feel very humbling when you walk inside it. Mm. Why do we do that as human beings? Why do we build the pyramids? They they were tombs. I mean, you know. So we we do have to, we do need some sort of. Some symbolic, be it be it a building, be it a, a, a some sort of process to go through, like at the end of someone's life, and I think that's 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 why you know we have funerals, and and I don't, and I, the other thing I'm just going to say is as well, Trish is it, this is just a comment. Yeah. No one can do it perfectly. How you, you're at your absolute rock bottom. And, and you and you think, all right, it's this is going to be perfect. That the, the, all the serviettes are going to be this. Oh, all no. the, the, it's and like you a can't, wedding day, yeah. but in reverse. Yeah, it's, it's a, not going to be. Sticky, but no yeah. one sits where they're yeah. supposed to. Yeah. And someone, someone said to me about uh, speeches at funerals. Keep them short. And I, I know, and my father's, I kept it very short. Because uh, part of the eulogy of my brother and sister, and uh, I kept it very short. And sweet, because I don't think people can uh, take in the the, the the present the present to show respect. Mm. I mean, there was a lot of people. My dad's there's a lot of people, but I don't, you know, both years. But my dad obviously is an older man. He, you know, there's a lot of people. The community, loads of people turned up, uh, family and friends and that. And do you think they're all want to listen to some twenty minute monologue? On they probably just dirt the show the respect and probably want to get through it. And I went to a funeral recently, and to be honest, I wasn't really there. I was. I, I can remember one or two things about it as a friend of mine. I, I can. Rem- I, I can remember one or two things about it. That's mm-hmm. you know. I can literally now. If you again, if you put me on the spot and said, "What do you remember?" I, I can tell you one or two things about it. And I just wanted to get in and out and go, I, and not out of disrespect to my friend. Um. So, but I'm glad I went, and I think the other thing as well is I, I, I was saying this. I've sometimes said to people, family members, you know, sometimes you do things today for yourself three years from now, mm, and I th- yeah, and I think and I think sometimes you got to say to yourself, you know, in three years from now, am I going to regret not yeah. doing this? Mm. Am I going to regret? Mm-hmm. I mean, and and you know, so that sometimes you you go and and the best I could maybe muster is to turn up, look smart, do 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 the right things, be quiet, be respectful, make a very light footprint, and go. I mean, that's but but at least I I won't feel bad for not turning up or yeah. not mm-hmm. not not being involved. And I think for for funerals, I, I don't know what you do. What I, the last thing I will say is. And I got this from a James Elroy book. Um, and James Elroy wrote L.A. Confidential. I should re-put this in the notes. And he had a character, and he was a hard-boiled cop. There were always hard-boiled cops in James Elroy, um, James, James Elroy books. They're absolutely brilliant characters, very, very grey characters. They're very, uh, his, mother, his, his mother was killed. And it, the, one of my favourite books by him is... Um, my my dark place. I think it's called my dark place. Again, I'll put it in the notes. 
And um, he, he reinvestigates his mother's murder because it's never really solved in a, in the valley in a LA. And it, it's, it's a fascinating book. It really is a fascinating book. And um, he wrote this book and in it, the main character tells his daughter and any question she asks him, she tells, tells him he'll tell her anything. And his wife says to him, why are you doing that? Why, you know, why are you telling the child this? He goes, look, it's a terrible world out there. And, and she needs to know, she needs to trust someone that is going to tell the truth about it. Mm, yes. And, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not, now I am not saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that's, 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 that. when you said that, that's what it reminded me of. And I think I took that bit of, I've, I've taken a bit of attitude with my daughter mm. is, is just to be straight, yeah. not in depth and you know, in, in infect it with with poison or emotion mm. or uh, you know poison. I mean negative emotion or you know just just it. be straight. This is this is this is what's happened, and I've always taken that line with her. I'll always you know, and I I don't know if it's the right thing to do, but to be honest, I'd rather do that than wait. Because the other thing about you forget. The other thing is, since since my son passed away, my memory was never great. Anyway, I can't remember what I've said. So if I start saying, <laughs> so if I, I tell, if I sugarcoat a story, I might sugarcoat it differently to you, and then to you, and you go, "Hang on a minute, Dave, you sugarcoat that 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 story that doesn't quite add up." What you does that make any sense? Yes, so I, I thought, well, if I tell 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 a, a version of the truth. As you, what do you say? Age-appropriate truth. truth mm. Or approach to that scenario version of the truth. Then I, and in some ways I can't go wrong because I've never gone against, I've never made some story up, you know. Uh, or, yeah. And that's that's the other thing. So there's selfish reasons there. There's ethical and selfish reasons there for why I behave the way I behave. We're very, yeah, very similar because I've always said to my kids, I'm your mum and I'm the one who's going to have you back the most, so I'm always going to tell you the truth. You know, and sometimes it's going to sting and sometimes you're not going to like it, but that's life. But the good thing is if I'm telling you about it, we can work through it together. Sad thing is sometimes they're teenagers and they don't want to come to you or they don't want to work through it and they just want to linger in it. And I get that because that's what you do as a teenager. (laughs) And they're hard times. I I just want everyone to know I talk openly about the funeral and stuff like that, not anything else but people avoid those conversations mm. like when it came time i don't know I, I don't know if it was a child it seems that people are a bit more open to it but when it's older people we tend to just yep yeah, sugar like you say sugarcoat it so i'm grateful that you have been able to talk openly about this because it's not an easy subject no. and i'm like you i don't want to give it's an intimate moment in that time so I, I only want to share what I feel comfortable in sharing because like you there's a lot in that day that I don't want to share that's mine that's what I had with him and I want to keep it like that so I just wanted to say in this moment thanks for really bringing it to the table in an honest way so with that we've done that service and we're going back to family life and my kids sort of, we got ugly. It's, it's, it's the only way I can put it. We got pretty ugly. Um, I feel like 
my children felt that I compared them to their brother. And if they weren't living up to, as my daughter used to say to me, the golden child, then, you know, um, I was coming down on them. I got to say I was looking more like you're at this age, you've been a right royal, mm, and I need to parent. But you're scared to parent because, you know, all the emotions are, are running wild, not just in yourself but in them as well. So I started getting fearful to parent in some ways and then I started getting fearful to talk about Eric in the household because I was worried that they thought I was comparing. And then I thought, hold on, sometimes people put things on you um, because they're deflecting from themselves. So it got me thinking, do you have a habit of comparing yourselves to the deceased? Do you feel like you've got to step up into that gap because or have something step into the gap because it's so prominent and you're so used to something or someone, sorry, being in that gap. And does it help to heal? I I found with my children it wasn't so much they were trying to step into that, but I feel they felt that maybe I felt that they should do that, if that makes sense. Mm, It does make sense. I don't know how to answer that. I... I will not speak for my brother because I don't know. We've not had this conversation, so I don't know how he feels. I, interestingly, until very, very recently, never felt like I was being compared to my sister or it should have been me, not her. You know, I never had, I never had any of that. I never felt like my mum wanted me to be anything other than me. Um, you know, I kind of held my own space. You know, I was the eldest. I was, you know, she went through a really hard time to have, you know, like I, I kind of had my own space to sit in. So I never felt like I needed to fill Jody's space because that was her space. Mm-hmm. However, that Jody's space got filled with her daughter. Mm. Um, and so now that dynamic that you talk about actually plays out with my kids oh. because, m- like, my biological child obviously is my child, but my daughter is my niece, so it's my deceased sister's child. So it's like the elevation is with with that generation, not my generation, if that makes any yeah, sense at all. Yeah, it does. Um, and we openly talk about this. Like if my kids listen to this podcast, it will not be, like I won't be talking out of school. We openly and she will openly acknowledge and admit that she is the protected species and um, it's really, it's evident to us, it's evident to everybody else that looks in. Um but we haven't been able to, like, it's not within the three of us. Like, the three of us, we're all equal and mm-hmm. we're a family and we're a dynamic and there's no niece, aunt, cousin, like, it's brother, sister, mum. Like, that's that's yep. our nucleus. That's how we 
operate as a family. Um, yeah, so it, yeah. It, it hasn't impacted me as the sister, the child, but it has impacted my children. children. Mm. And her child. So basically. And yeah. her child, yeah. yes, that's right. Yeah, I've got to say we're good now. It was a lot of growing pains for us as a family. Like mm. it. I'm going to say this, and this isn't said because of anything more than no one warns you. Like everyone thinks grief is crying and and whatnot. We were screaming at each other. We actually got physical, my daughter and I, a couple of times, and we're embarrassed by that. But it's just the pain inside and not knowing how to parent and her not knowing how because they were only four months. 14 months apart. Michael, not so much because there's a, a five-year gap from there. So it was more with Sky and myself because they were so close and I feel like she felt in some ways, and, and I can't speak in her, I'm just saying this as a parent looking at the situation. Um, she'll probably ring me after she listens to that and goes, you're so far off course, it's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> but good because yes, then you'll know. <laughs> yes. Um, I feel like she felt obligated to have to fill that space only because they were so close in age mm. um, and because. Do you think it's, I'm going to put a different spin on it. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it's actually her feeling like she needs to fill the space of Eric or. My mum is in so much pain. How can I fill that void? I think you're more right on the second one, if I'm going to be honest, mm. because having these conversations, mm. I'm starting to feel mm. that that was probably her drive for that. Yeah, because I know it, it is with me, but I, and I never, ever, ever felt like I had to be my sister or fill the gap or whatever, but I desperately wanted to help heal my mum and make her whole again. Mm. Um, the problem also with Sky was she don't talk about him, mm. don't mention his name. I don't want to. I want to pretend he never existed. The pain ran so deep. Denial lasts quite a while in mm. Sky, and I mean not a few months. As a parent, it was really hard to watch because it took about three years for Sky to actually say his name mm. to cry. Mm. She didn't cry. She just lashed out. And then I would lash out. And then I remember our neighbours were mortified because we, we went for gold on one stage there. And no one tells you that those emotions can be riding you. Like you expect to sit down and cry. It's weird because I watch shows and they do these someone dies scene and everybody's crying and then they go from crying to just being quiet and still and you might have a little argument or something. I smashed a bathroom up and renovated because I was so peeved with life. I, you know, I threw, I gave furniture away. Anything that all of us had sat on or shared a moment in time on, I was out the door. Every time, I hate to say this, I've noticed this, every time I lose somebody, I'll give away a piece of furniture that everybody has had a piece of. It's like, no, nah, I don't need this. Thankfully, I give it to the kids. <laughs> I make sure it stays in the realm of the family. But um, no one talks about that anger that comes with it, and it scared the both of us. And as women, I think that's what was even scarier, that we went to such levels of anger that you sort of expect in a man, 
because of that social mm. expectation. Mm. And I think that drove some of the grief even harder because we didn't know how to communicate through that anger. Um, and then it's like, I don't want you to be him, but if you're saying, I'm not trying to be that way, you know, so you've really, I think you've nailed it for me in saying that she was trying more, how do I help mum more than I'm trying to fit in. But I think us as parents are looking at more, mm. how are you trying to fit <coughs> in? Uh, uh, Bob Hawke, I think he lost a brother when he was quite young. I think I think I think I think uh, I hope I'm not wrong on this. I think the brother might have been lost in a car accident. I, I believe I could be wrong on that. But all the, they said, all the energy went on to Bob Hawke. I think it was a pretty good documentary. He said all this parents' energy went on to him. So you go from two down to one, mm. and where does that love go? Where does that mm. attention go? Where does that? It goes on to this this this. The remaining children doesn't it? it has to be sort of spread around and 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 um and i think that's 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 maybe one of the things that happens is now you know your all your energy or you've you bet everything on this one you know child now or you bet everything on um that's it you know it's it's mm. I, it's, I, it's it's maybe it's like the stakes the stakes seem 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 so much higher yeah you've you've, you've just I, I can't put it in I can't put it into words properly, but I think it's it's, it's like it's like a it's like a it's like an energy. Mm. And and you know, one of the interesting things is when you know you love someone. I, I said this and I'm gonna sound really um uh what's the word? Don't qualify it to say No 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 I do. <laughs> I do need to qualify it. I need to qualify everything to say. Uh, I think love does transcend time and space. Now, what yeah. I mean by that, because this is what you're going to penny, as my mother calls, you're going to get a penny lecture from me now. What I mean by that is you can love someone when they're not there mm. and they're not actually in the in the same temporal yeah. part. So you can love, like mm. you just spoke about your father, Trish. You love, you still love your father. I love my dad. You know, yeah. Um, he's not with me anymore. He's 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 gone, but I still love him. I love him dearly. And um, so it does transcend time and space that way. And and I think, uh, where does it go for this kid when when you lose them, or the, your sister when you lose them? Where's where's your love go? Where's this? Because this this very a, a powerful, emo, mm. extremely powerful emotion. For me, it stayed with my sister. Yeah, I didn't I didn't divert it anywhere. It it has stayed with my sister, and I have made sure that she has stayed very much part of my life, not just for me but for her daughter. Um, so, yeah, there, there is – where does it go? It doesn't go anywhere. It stays there. She, She's my sister. I love her. I still love her. Just because she's not here doesn't mean I can't continue my relationship with her. I've had to change it and morph it and it has developed into something other than what it would have been had she still been alive. But she's still my sister and I still love her very much and she's still very much part of my, my life. Um, and I haven't transferred that energy anywhere. Um, I, I sometimes think it's uh, – I, I just want to – again, I think it does transcend time and space. I yeah. think you just said that. Yeah. But I think when you're first dealing with it, 
You know them fire hydrants? Do you know when you've seen them when they go? Yes. It's like you see a guy gets hold of a fire hydrant by himself yeah. and he's getting thrown around everywhere. It's yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I think that's the only sort of. Yeah. And I'm not trying to belittle it with that analogy. I think it's a bit of that goes on, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, we've 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 had a few ups and downs. I'll just put it at that. Um, I've got to say, we probably as tight. Someone said, I'll just say this now, I don't really like revealing too much, but someone said to me, I think it was to my wife, a friend of hers, said, look, you're still a family. And it was a very important thing, I think he said to my wife at the time. It was, he said just the right thing, this guy, that my wife needed to hear, was that, look, you're still a family. Mm. And, and I thought that was a, that was a, that was a, and I often reflect on that at the time. I probably it, it probably didn't mean as much to me, um, or I perhaps pushed against that concept. Mm. How can you say that? You know, mm. this this, mm. this it's mm. being ripped apart. Um, but we, you still are a family, you know, and and you know, and we talked about monuments before and symbol symbolism, and and the essence of of that person will be carried on. You you become I might have said this before. You become curators for. Your son, mm-hmm. uh, your, your daughter, your sister. Mm-hmm. You become you're the curator of this the memory. Because to be honest, most most people look. Most people can't. Um, there, there's no utility in, in in caring about absolutely everyone in the world, and being as broken as is and and upset by the death of an individual as you are, because you're that much closer to them. And you have to remember that's it. You are the, the creator and you carry this, this memory forward through your life and that's it. And and, and um, I think it's important. I can only say this now after X amount of years of reflection, I, you know, at the, at, at the very rough moment when it's all going on, you've got no time to reflect. You, know, you, you, you can't do that. But over time... Uh, I start to realise that you become the curator and expecting people to care. And I've said this before, I don't want to sound massively bitter about it, is it's interesting is the people that you thought, oh, you get really hurt by the people you thought were going to step up mm. and they didn't. And yeah. then now I, I'm, I'm still, and I still, have I forgiven them? Oh, I don't know. I don't, have, have I forgiven them? Um No. No, no, but actually, no. What I've no. done, I've seen, I've seen him for what I've seen. I've, I've actually, what I've actually done, it, forgiveness and all this is, is forgiveness. I think you do for yourself. I think really, what you've done, you have a, a clear picture of what this person is before. You didn't know what they were because yeah. you haven't seen the full gambit of their emotions. Yeah. Now, um, I've, I'm for. I realise when I say that I'm talking about support, ignoring you. I realise. In your situation, there's there's a hell of a lot more. He's talking to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's looking at me. There's a hell of a lot more going on. And, and, you know, Trish, there might be more going on. I'm just talking about just maybe what most people will find is that someone very, very close to them will let them down. But then you've just realised what person they are. Sorry, Trish. No, you're right. We're sitting here talking and I'm trying not to have my own little meltdown because I've just had like, what do you call it, an epiphany? Mm -hmm. We're talking about, you were saying like, I can't even remember what you're saying, but I've just realised 
that all that energy to begin with with Eric, like you say, where do you put it, where do you put it? And I'm like you, Eric has a part, Marie has a part in our home, always has, always will. But when that, like the fire hydrant guy, I realised Sky and Eric were the same father, Michael was not. So I feel like poor Mikey, I'm just sitting here, I feel like having a total meltdown in a way. That if you're listening, kid, I'm sorry. Um, I was so busy focusing on her because I think it was more that they were so close together that I realised that I was that family member that let down that kid because I was sorry. Well, Do you know what I want to say to you? And this is why we're doing this. I know. You did the best that you could at the time and we know. We know that you're broken and that you can't be all we need you to be in that moment. But it's we still playing that. out, Tina. Like I realise we there's a big talk between us about how as a family there's just certain days we feel like he's not inclusive or chooses not to be inclusive and I sit and go, hold on, the epiphany was, well, there's the moment why. Yeah. Because he never felt included in the process. Yeah. So it's just, I suppose it's that reflection that you're saying, you yeah. know, like, um, Jesus, I'm sick of crying every time we come in here. Sorry, folks. <laughs> uh, well, 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 kids, you, you pull yourself together, woman. Yeah, but um, uh, yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, that was me being facetious, by the way. Um, right. Um, if you but, haven't worked out what we're like, people, maybe we're not the podcast <laughs> you want to be listening to, um, but. It's it you know it is it is kind of it is I, I think that's one of the things is you 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 asked I just life wanna... asks you questions sorry mm. I spoke over you team no you Go didn't ahead. no uh, life life asks you life asks you questions at times you haven't got the answer to or the answer you've got is at best so you know nowhere near the solution because that's that's all you've got i mean life is hugely complicated complex it's a comp you know it's so many complex systems families are complex systems it's so you think about uh we we i once did this with a friend i hope he doesn't mind me saying this um there was a number of divorces in the family and he was we, he, we did a we just for a bit of fun <laughs> I don't know why we did this to make amuse ourselves. We did the family tree of where oh that where his his children had to go on Christmas Day because oh. of that. So we we, we and, and and all all that spun off from it. If that makes any sense, yeah. And we we did that's on one side of the family, not 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 the other side of the family. And we were just scratching our heads, going, "How do these kids manage to?" Um, mm, go from this parent to, to, to that this, parent to, to, to this so, grandparent yeah. and the grandparent divorce and 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 and, and after, you know so life is you families are hugely complex inter interconnected units and one small change here can have a huge effect over there and and there's another this this I'm being a bit but again there's another penny lecture there's types of complex systems I think it, I think they call it a complex two system and really that's what we are as human beings and maybe a family is. You reflect. So as you reflect, you change the system and you see the system change. So you reflect more. So you change the system. So what I mean by that is to give it a more practical down to earth example. Uh, let's say 
Tina said to Trish before I walked in this podcast, oh, Dave's really angry at you. He's going to come in. He's, he's, he was gone off his head on the phone, right? Trish's attitude to me... That did happen, by the way. Trish's attitude, your attitude to me would be completely different as I walked through the door than it would have been if you hadn't known that. And then I'll start reacting to your reaction to me. Think, what's her problem? You know, and maybe teens has been having a laugh at everyone's expense and causing trouble. <laughs> and this is what this, this, yeah, yeah. And this is the, pro- this is the problem. And, uh, and like I said, when I used to, when I used to teach, I used to say to the kids, you know, you do realize some people just love a drama and some people just love oh, causing yeah. trouble. And some people, um, don't always tell the truth. And then they go, well, they said this or they wrote this. Or I said, yeah, but you do realise. <laughs> and it's, it's it, as human beings, we're very, very, we're like cut open to these, these, these attitudes. You know, we, we, you know, it's, we, we look at the other people around us, particularly our family. Who we're very, very close to, I mean, most, um, as you know, most, most crime, violent crime is committed within the family unit. Yeah. <laughs> so. But I think it's really important just going back to acknowledge that moment, to acknowledge that epiphany. Because as Dave just said, you now have the opportunity to take that back into the system, oh. take that back into the family. And maybe some healing can happen because you've been able to look at it from a really different perspective. And uh, that's what this is all about. So I'm really – I. My heart is just breaking for you that you've just had that moment, but I'm so happy for you that you have had that moment because it's a moment of clarity and it's a moment of higher perspective that you didn't have before. And I don't know, it's that's what these podcasts are all about. So I'm yeah. really Can I just pleased. clarify too? We're close. It's not like mm. like when it goes down, you won't find a closer clan. Mm. And if you come for any one of us, well, we're out there with our big sticks ready to take you on. But mm. in amongst ourselves, as you know, the dynamics, mm. there's those little shifts. And it's just made sense about that little shift. Mm. So I suppose to wrap it up, because we've actually gone through most of our, well, all of our questions, we've answered it in some way. I suppose what I want to ask to end it, is and these are hard journeys, so this is, I suppose, our personal reflective moment. Um, what has the death of your sibling done to your life, such as do you feel that you can, that you identify opportunities for yourself and your loved ones more? Um, are you not scared to try new things? Or are you fearful and you can't move forward? Like, as for me, through Eric and Marie, the one thing I take from this, and it's the only thing that I think keeps me sane, is I still can live, even though it's shit sometimes and it hurts. Like, I'm having that hurtful moment now through that epiphany. Mm. Um, I'm still getting up and having another go at it where they don't, whether by choice or not. Um, and I say that because one chose their pathway and one did not. Um, every day's I'm like a bullet out of a gun. Most of it is for them. I'll be honest. Most of it's for them. I want. I want to let in my mind, let their spirit experience life through me because it wasn't 
happening for them. Um, I think as a family we are close. Like we were close before. Family is a big deal for us, but we're really close. And we're knitted and we're tight. And every time a new one joins our, because we just did, we had one join us. I had another grandchild recently, um, number six. They're in our fold now. We fight hard to make sure that their opportunities are good, but they're, they're not based on materialism. They're not based on society thinks what's best for them. It's not based on anything more than pure love. And I want them to learn to live because you don't know when you don't get that opportunity anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, over to you. <laughs> that was almost a rhetorical question, wasn't it, really? <laughs> yeah. Tina? Um, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Okay, what has... Jody's death brought to my life. I think it has made me brave. Beautiful. It has made me courageous enough to really dig deep and deal with my trauma, deal with my past, deal with my journey. Like, before Jodie died, my favourite catchphrase was, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> now I want to give myself an uppercut because, like, what the hell? Um, I don't like the reason. <laughs> that's right. Um, but everything does happen for a reason. And what Jodie's passing has done is really made me peel back the layers and live this life hard, deep. Mm, and true to call. True to call, exactly. And what is it that I am here to do? What is my purpose? And my purpose is to be of service. My purpose is to use, I believe, my journey, my life, my experiences to help those coming on the path behind me. I used to do it in my sister's name. I used to do it in my sister's honour because I didn't want her to have died for no reason. Um, Now I do it because it makes my heart sing because it is what my purpose is. It isn't my sister's. Can I say this? Yes. Can I say you do it now for you? Yeah. Because you have got a lot to offer. Mm. Yeah. 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 She's a part of that, but it's got to be for you. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I used to hide behind her Mm. because I didn't have enough confidence to be Tina. I didn't have enough confidence that Tina can actually do this and step out and be, just be all that she can be. She has to be for Jodie. Can I say this? TCFQ are very grateful that Tina is stepping up into Tina. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, Come on, Dave. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So, yeah. 
And it's also been a very powerful lesson in making sure that my children my my nieces included in that have a voice. Yes. And that they know how to use that voice. And doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be activists and they have to be this and they have to be that. But but I want them to know who they are, mm. what they're about. Yes. And be courageous and be brave and 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 own their Yeah, don't shine from don't their own shine. Light. Yeah. Just don't shy, sorry, away from their own life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't ever let anyone put you in a situation that my sister found herself in because she didn't have a voice, because she didn't have courage, because she wasn't confident enough. And 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 he he made her shrink. Mm. And I don't ever want my kids to feel that. Because I felt that before, I felt that in, but she, but she showed me that I have to get out from underneath that, and I now have to, I now have to be the example for the kids. Mm, that's powerful. Mm. Come on, Dave. Uh, well, I, I didn't lose a sibling, so I, I, might answer, I can't directly answer that question, but. One of the things I find now is trivial conversations. I was speaking to a person the other night who lost a child just on the phone, and I actually said to him, the thing I fear the most is a trivial conversation. Mm. Just it, oh, actually fear, no. I mean, yeah, on some levels it's fear, and, and, it, and it hurts me head. Just you walk into a room and someone's talking about shit you're just not interested in, or moaning you. about... Mm. Moaning about things that, um, we, uh, as as we're recording this, obviously we're in the middle of the COVID pandemic, and what I find fascinating is the amount of people that are. Well, I need to, we, you know, on on various because we've got social media platforms now, and the, and the news seems to follow it and check. You know, maybe the news has always been crap. I don't know the, the official news outlets. Um, it's like Donald Trump, they're not fake news. Um, but um, it, on some levels, I have a bit of, you know, what what I find interesting is everyone seems to be experts on something that's absolutely brand new. Mm. And um, that kind of mindless conversation, I just can't listen to. And we, I, I, you know, um, and or just tedious conversations about things I'm just not interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so I, I, one of my friends said I don't do trivial well anymore. Yeah. I, 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 I can't. <clears throat> you, you can't take me to uh, a little soiree with you know what do you call them what hors d'oeuvres oh. and, and, and ask me to work the room because probably in about three minutes I, I'd, I'd, have, I'd have probably irritated most of the room and maybe found a few people that 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 didn't like me or the other thing that i find keep that in mind Tina. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't put dave out yeah. in the public yeah and, and i mean I, um there's a comedian in britain called helen partridge yes uh and one one time he said what's up alan he goes i just hate the general public and i my son used to say to me, he made me laugh. He said to me, Dad, you just hate the general public, don't you? <laughs> yeah. No, no, but I don't. I mean, people are, you know, people as individuals 
you, you find a very, 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 most people are very, very kind because that's, we have that capacity to be kind. We've also that capacity to be horrible. When we form groups, depending on the group, it can be quite, um, difficult. And so I've, I've just found myself withdrawing away from, from certain situations. Other things I just don't care about. Like, I mean, I, my, my attitude towards danger now, really from per- my own personal safety, I'm, I'm less worried about, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not completely not worried about, if you throw a snake in here now, I'd jump, you know, I'd be a bit worried. <laughs> I'll be throwing yeah. you at the snake <laughs> yeah. for my own safety. You know, um, you know you're still an animal, you still want to protect your life. But, I mean, in terms of, of me w- wondering this earth, I've done things now that I perhaps wouldn't have done as readily if my son had been alive. And one of the things to say is, well, the worst thing that's happened has happened to you. Mm. So do that. And I, and I maybe, maybe sometimes when I talk about trivial conversations, maybe I seem as a waste of time. Maybe I, I don't, as, as I'm talking, I am reflecting. This is, this is, yeah. this is the whole point of this. I, I see it as a waste of time, you know, um, the conversations. Yeah. yeah. Well, I agree with you. I like, there's just some people who sit there and they whinge for the sake of whinging and I'm just like, I'm not the person to whinge to. Don't do it because through my experience, I don't have time to listen to this. So I've got to keep moving. I'm picturing you and me in this room and you're walking around just right. Bra- and I'm, I'm abrasive. I'm at the point where people think I'm abrasive, but I'm at the, I don't care. I am open. I'm honest. I don't hide anything. I do share a lot of stuff that most people wouldn't be prepared to share. But that's because I want people to understand when you're speaking to me, you're getting the real me. I can put a bit of makeup on and I can talk in an eloquent voice, but you're still going to get me. I can also meet you down the pub and throw a few words around. I can make a grown man's chest hair curl with some of my language. (laughs) (laughs) I was raised by Wolfie, so to speak. So, um, and, you know, uh, what, what would you call him? old-fashioned train crews. So language is a second language in its own right with me. But I think people take me as abrasive or too confronting. Uh, I just don't have time for the chit-chat. Let's get to the point. Let's talk. And if you're going to talk, keep it real with me because I can't do the soft, elegant fluffiness, if that's the way to put it. I'm not a fluffer. Never was, never will be, but I'm even worse now. And I'll pick you out as a bullshit artist a mile away because I just don't do the bullshit. So don't put me and Dave in one of those rooms. (laughs) So as the president of the (laughs) organisation. So just be aware, please, my community service fellow friends. If you want honesty, it's coming from me. (laughs) But, uh, look, I think a lot of people out there do respect honesty. Um, Certainly I have some friends who have, Dear, you know, dear friends that are very honest, and sometimes they're honest with you, and you you don't you know particularly revel in it at the time. But when you reflect on it, you know they're doing it for for the right reasons. Um, and which is which is I think that's <coughs> it, isn't it? There's there's always a context. If someone's doing something for the right reasons, I can pretty much go along yep. along with it now. If it if I can see some gain in as as, as Tina said in in making things better for people that come after you. You know, people are going to lose the kids, sadly. Um, and that's it. Um, and I just, maybe to finish on, one of, I, I reflected on this the, 
to, to someone the other day was my grandparents lost, both sets of grandparents lost a child. And I often wonder back in the day, we don't know. We can romanticise back in the day, but we're talking sort of before World War Two, between World War One, World War Two, when you know just industrialisation started, and certainly in the UK, there's a lot of communities were losing kids, mm. and maybe there was that local wisdom amongst them. You know, even with the family, like maybe Aunt Bessie had lost a child, so you could maybe talk to them. Aunt yeah, Bess, yeah, yeah, and. Obviously, as as a society's grown now, maybe I'm just I'm just specu- wild speculation here. Now we we've lost a little bit of that yes. ability, that 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 common, that wisdom that's that's that would be in a family or in a community because we are more fractured. And hopefully, um, the compassionate friends Queensland. What we're going to be trying doing is is via technology, face to face. COVID at the moment obviously means it'd be a lot of it's. Uh, over technology is maybe try and bridge some of that gap. And we're not, mm. we're not, we, we, I know we can't recreate the old days, you know, but, uh, but why not? Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. to think that I'm going to be an art best, yeah. so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I remember, can, I remember just on that point in back in the early days, a work colleague came in bitching and moaning about her husband because he didn't take the garbage out. And I'm just looking at her across the table. I'm like, really? Really? That's the worst that life's got to throw at you right now. Your husband forgot to take the garbage out. Get over yourself. And she just kind of looked at me and she was very offended. But then she realised, like, who I was, where I was coming from, what I was dealing with, and she just went, yeah. I'm really sorry. I was really inappropriate. I'm gonna go. And, I'm gonna go and call him yeah. and apologize. I'm like, yeah, you do that because you don't know that he's gonna make it home tonight, yep. and all you've done is bitch and moan because he didn't take the freaking garbage out. Mm. Seriously, like, get some perspective. <laughs> I want to say that I want to our members and our listeners, even if you're not a member. You're doing great. I hope that through this conversation you actually take a minute and look at what you've achieved. And I like to think they're little gifts that they've left behind something. It's like their little legacy within you. Yeah. Yeah. And that you can see it. All right. Okay. So that concludes our conversation between uh, a parent and a sibling. We will have more podcasts for you as the months progress. Uh, if you want to uh, connect with us at all or maybe give us some ideas, that's fine. Yeah, please feel free to do so. Otherwise, I'll say goodbye to Trish. Goodbye, Trish. Goodbye, Dave. I've nearly gone to the two Ronnies there. It's good, it's good night from me and it's good night from him. Uh, and goodbye to Tina. Bye. Thanks for having me. Hi, I am Patricia Schaefer, President of the Compassionate Friends Queensland. 
This podcast is for entertainment purposes as we are not qualified counselling professionals. We are a peer support group. If you feel the need to speak to someone after listening to our conversations, please contact our national helpline on 1300 064 068 or ring Lifeline on 131114.